Welcome to Sin City with Nick Manessis and Dane McLean. Live chat about everything cinema, from new releases, iconic films, and plenty more for you movie lovers. Live for CMRU.ca. And now, to the men behind the mic. MRU, you're back here with Sin City. I'm one of your hosts, Nick Manessas. Today, we have a very special guest with us, the Vice President Executive of the Society of Broadcasting, Diana de Gracia. Welcome to Sin City, Diana. How Hi. Are you? Um, bit of a correction there. I am the president, not a vice president. Uh, I see. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, Ben is the vice president, but yeah, it's it's all good. Um, a little bit tired from work and everything, but you know, I'm I'm ready to do this. How are you, Nick? Doing really good. Really enjoying my holidays so far, and can't wait for next semester as well. Wow. Yeah, I uh, can't wait either. Um, also a little bit worried, but uh, that's just the times that we have right now. Oh yeah, definitely agree on that one as well and before we get to today's topic which is disney we have to all our new listeners a few announcements to make see it has been announced on disney plus that we will be getting new shows all from star wars and marvel which i sure as hell can't wait to air (laughs) yeah i'm excited too um but i mostly like paying attention to the animation department of Disney. Mostly, you know, just right from the start, it started off as a Disney animation studio, and it's always been that way. And then they started buying all these companies, but it's always the animation that's uh, stuck true to my heart ever since uh, I was a kid. And I grew up with Disney. Certainly have moved on to loving other studios and TV shows and cartoons and stuff, but um, yeah, Disney still has a special place in my heart for um, a lot of what I am today. Yeah. Great to hear, Diana. Yes. And like I mentioned to you before, I grew up with Disney as well, though previously I decided that I've outgrown it because, you know, I'm now 21 and cartoons are for kids. But watching these movies over again has made reminded me that Disney Yes, it's for kids, but it appeals for both audiences, children and adults. You don't have to be little to truly appreciate the magic of the Disney vault. That's true. Like, it's not just like about magic or, you know, appealing to kids because a lot of these stories, um, you know, they're written by adults. They're written from their hearts. And, you know, we can learn from a lot of things that that we can. I know we're not supposed to talk to about Pixar, but you know, like just just on the sentiment that animation is for kids in general. Things like um, uh, Inside Out, you mm-hmm. know, both people can learn that it's okay to be sad sometimes, and that's taken from like the heart of Disney. And I was also watching the documentary for how Frozen Two was made, and um, it actually started off 
before like they screened it for all the families like it was actually starting off as like way too adult for kids to understand so you know the the ideas are complex and they put those in and you know it's it's something that everyone can learn from definitely we're always learning the same uh, lessons through life i like to think um it's just you know we're at different levels of that learning curve and that's what disney does it, it teaches us through storytelling exactly yeah to your point because i i love it too when disney even though it's for children mainly targeted for children is not afraid to pull their punches and deal with very deep mature topics it shows that it's preparing children for the outside world and preparing them for adulthood like i know it's for kids but we can always be pandering as well to them Yeah, yeah, cuz like, you know, when when we think about like more adult sort of movies and TV shows, I see I kind of feel like a lot of them don't have the heart of what life can truly be. Sometimes it's like about sex or like drugs and then there's killing and stuff. And yeah, those things exist in everyday life, but sometimes they it's like it's just kind of like a sadder spin and it's they don't they don't go as deep into the values that that we can learn from and grow from um but it's starting to get a little bit better uh bojack horseman is a really good tv show midnight gospel uh, on netflix i really love those shows um over quarantine and just like binging those a little bit more adult but you know you know like i think it it helps to grow up when you know how to be a kid and you know stop trying to be mature all the time honestly for sure yeah and about disney to you what what do you say you prefer more disney's more traditionally hand drawn animation or more today with the cg 3d animation i think um Well, both have their qualities to them because uh 3D animation, you know, it takes a little bit more more rigging and more science. It's kind of like having a robot and having someone animate that robot and then like have all these textures go around with them. Um but I think hand-drawn animation has a very very special place in my heart because um it's just there's a lot of things that you can do in hand-drawn animation that that communicate much better than you can in 3D animation and you see this a lot with princess and the frog there's some 3D um uh, aspects to it like in the the uh the part where what was that song uh <laughs> i was going to say you got a friend in me friends on the other side i got friends on the other side right. yeah there's a lot of 3d aspects to it and the, but like the way that they channeled it and used like the shadow man and like the cards and how he was doing the flipping like that that is beautiful it was absolute eye candy to me so um <laughs> i guess the question is which one do i like better uh i don't know i i love both because you can do so much with either but i think like 2D animation is the one i i have more sentiment to definitely wow it's really it's really great to hear yeah i'd have to agree with that one too i grew up mostly with 2D animation in fact it was disney's earliest films that inspired my hobby to draw and sketch stuff like since i was small I, like it was 
very I was impressed by the aesthetic, how the characters were drawn, the storyboard, that it's what inspired me to take up a pencil and draw characters and settings of my own. And I have to right. Think. Yeah. And, and um, you know, for everyone who's listening, if you haven't yet, go check out Nick's drawings. They're really great. Um, yeah, like I can see you improving with every every step that you're going. So good job there. And and yeah, no, it's inspired me to draw a lot, too. And what I really about, love about, you know, just animation in general, whether it's Warner Brothers or or Disney, is that like they're able to use very simple shapes and can communicate so much different emotions and like different stories with uh, the characters um like for example uh one would be atlantis all of the characters like atlantis the lost empire all of the characters look so different and you can tell the story from the characters and then uh like a few months ago i was watching rescuers from like the rescuers like the little mouse people hmm i love that one too it's one of the yeah uh, what's the name of the the villain? Let me just look it up real quick. Rescuers. Uh, Medusa. Medusa, yeah, 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 Medusa. She's like the way that she was designed with her hair, just like so. Also, someone animated her hair. I forget who it was. I think it was Glenn Keane. No, no, it wasn't Glenn Keane. It was someone else. But he animated her hair in like the way that like he animated each and every strand as she moved very frantically it was just wow like it just communicated like her spindliness and her bulging eyes and her like really high cheekbones it like the way that they designed this character like you can tell so much from her like she's not going to be a nice person she's going to be evil and disgusting and i absolutely love the way like they designed her dress where it was like it was just falling off of her shoulders because it it was meant to be like fabulous but because she's so bony and skinny like it, it didn't fit well and it was just such a funny little thing like a little tip where like you know she's also um you know not as fancy as she tries to be she's a little bit cheap but she she's she's also poor that's why she has to get the gem and every everything so yeah, yeah. really a really great attention to detail there and what i love also about the animation of the, the characters is that they really try to make the characters stand out, make them different from the other instead of just these simple caricatures. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess that's not so much animation as it is uh, character design, but I think it goes hand in hand as well with animation because like when you see animators creating different walk cycles um, by the way people walk, especially, you know, bringing back the example to Atlantis, the the lost empire, like Milo walks very differently from Kida, who walks very differently from Rurik, like they're all, <laughs> they're all very different and you, it is also like translated into the way they work. And what I love about animation is that they they take so many different aspects of life because when I see it in real life, people actually do walk differently. There's there's different ways in way in which people walk. And they like they take these little subtleties and nuances, they give it like a cartoony blown up uh version of them and then they draw it they recreate it with drawings and cartoons and color and music and voice acting and then they just like re they, they bring a whole different world and it's a whole different kind of like uh like we're just transported and that's like the magic of animation and disney in general 
really yeah. amazing. Yeah, really, it shows the writers, the animators really put a lot of effort and it shows even in the tiniest characters as well. It really shows how much they are expressing their, their work through really amazing stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's why I like, I really freaking love animation. Like, you build it up from the scratch, like, building up from scrap, and then you just, like, keep building and building and building, and then you put this forward, and it's just, oh, it's all there. It's amazing. And I'm learning how to animate a little bit myself. Oh. Yeah, um, I I have an Instagram, diana.made.a.thing, um, and I'm... I, I tried learning how to animate when quarantine started, and it's it takes a long time. I would say it, it isn't it isn't hard. I would say, um, but like it takes like a certain sort of um, eye and attention to detail to really make the animations flow. And then you add the sound to it. Like oh my goodness, animation and sound. That's just like uh, cherry on the top. Makes it amazing. Um, yeah. I would suggest trying to learn animating. It's fun. Of it's really fun. I've given it some thought as well, especially these past few weeks from watching all these different Disney films too. And what do you use to animate? Any specific app? Um, I would say Flip a Clip is mm-hmm. a great way to learn as a beginner because they show you uh, the onion skins. So basically onion skins are like... Um, they'll show you the layer on top and the layer below the layer you're working on. So, sorry, the, the frame on top and the frame below your, the, what you're working on. So you can see what's happening before and after, and then you can connect the two frames together with a, with a mid frame. I don't know what the specific terms are around animator, just very, very amateur, but um, yeah, that's a great way to learn. Uh, I'm not planning on touching Adobe Illustrator just yet because uh, Adobe's crazy. <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah, I'll have to give it a look for sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Even just a ball. You're going to be so happy once you put it all like all together. Oh, so good. And that was our prologue. It's time to get the ranking. I'd love to hear our top 10 favorite Disney films of all time. Okay. Or number 10. <laughs> well, I will say first that like ranking all of my all of the Disney movies are really hard because like I've always ranked my stuff according to do I like do I don't like <laughs> that's just it um, but I really had to go into the movies that gave me the most serotonin I'd say all Disney movies have really great qualities to them but um, yeah so do you want me to like just start from the bottom Definitely, yes. Please. Okay, okay. So number 10 would be Hercules. Oh. Uh, yeah, yeah, good. I think it was in the 2000s that it was made. No, I think it was before that. Uh, yeah, because, like, I, I'm i going according to the um, criteria of animation, creativity, music, and plot, because those things are very um, uh, highly connected with Disney. So Hercules... Um, I would say every single song that they had put out from the soundtrack to, like, the muses, like, those were just absolute bangers of the songs. And even 10 years after I've finished watching Hercules, I still remember the songs to heart uh, with Meg being just a very unique 
uh, female character in general. Like she, like the high, the the top uh, parts of Hercules were were the Muses and Meg, um, and also the art style. I would say I gave some points to Hercules because of the art style. Um, it was pretty unique for what it was and the way they animated each character was just absolutely beautiful danny devito also did amazing work and um yeah it was it was it was so fun to to watch um i gave it lost a little bit of points for plot because i saw it coming but then again that's up to like it's it's up to subjectivity because um, back then it might not have been a plot that everyone was uh, expecting. But because I've seen so many movies like that, like it was it was kind of expected. Where like, um, you know, you got a strong female lead and then she falls for the guy and the guy is like, you know, oh, he's yeah. he's the underdog, and he ends up saving the day with love and it's, yeah, <laughs> it's whatever. Yeah. But then again, we all can be winners for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I would say um, Hercules definitely made it to the list. I, I like I had to include it, um, even though it was pretty bo- uh, pretty uh, low on the list. But I, I definitely had to include it because just for the music and the art style alone, that was amazing. Which one um, was the song from Hercules, by the way? Ooh. Um. Zero to Hero, <laughs> yeah, by the Muses, and then uh, after that would be, like, those are like pretty high up, and then almost close to that would be, um, I can't say that I'm in love because it also has the Muses and Meg, uh, who has like a really powerful singing voice. So oh, yeah. yeah, I love that, um, and then after that would be Go the Distance. Oh. I love that one. It's yeah. So powerful. Yeah, like I can remember like this, like like the horns, like the euphoniums, like. Yeah, like I just remember that, and oh, it's so great. But yeah, what did you think of Hercules? I believe it was a film that needs more appreciation today, and because this is probably one of Disney's most underrated films. And and like you said, I your I think it succeeds in many of those points: the animation, the music, the style, and the characters, especially. It's more like a coming of age tale, since it's about a young man who's trying to find his place in the world, trying to find his own humanity. I'd say from a god who doesn't want to be a god, basically. Yeah, yeah. And then he becomes a god and he's like, well, no, I don't want. <laughs> uh, it's all good. Yeah, like legacy and all that. And that, that's the that's the heart of Disney. You know, they just put a lot of heart into it. Um, instead of making, they could have easily made Hercules like this sort of James Bond or like diehard sort of guy who just wrecks everything. Um, well, that's how the real Hercules was in the legends. Yeah, was- pretty much. <laughs> But yeah, yeah, that, the 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 emotion and you know the zero to hero thing. I think that was all on on Disney, like the Disney animators and the writers to um, give it more plump and fluff and everything. That yeah, Disneyfication. Yeah. yeah. All right. Should we move on to number nine? 
Uh, I'll, we're gonna be like your number ten, my number ten, your number nine, my number. Oh, okay, okay. What's your number ten? Well, I knew I had to give this spot on the list because without this film, none of, not just Disney, but all of animation as we know and love today would be possible. So number ten goes to the one that started it all, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Like. This was the first Disney film I've ever seen, and it still holds up today. It's maybe too, you know, traditional and classic, but then again, that's how it started. I love the how it's all drawn out, the characters, every detail in how, how it's all drawn out. I've even watched the documentary on how they animated all of it and it just made me want to pick up a pencil some pastels and just draw everything i see it's really it's really beautiful film really great way to start the disney canon as well yeah yeah and um yeah it wasn't even all in black and white like they had the color and everything um i can't say much about snow white um i can agree with that it was beautiful and everything um all i remember about it it was the the evil queen Mm. uh i freaking love the evil queen like she was just oh she was so beautiful i don't know what it is about like villains who are just just so evil and um are willing to do anything and they're just so like I think I think it's the ridiculous of super some some villains that really like make me love them <laughs> because she was just like she had no reason I think to really hate on her like other other than like Snow White was beautiful so mm-hmm. she had to kill Snow White as well like that is so ridiculous to me but I freaking love that and right. um she led to the 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 enaction of one of like my favorite actors on Disneyland, you know, one of the, the, you know how Disneyland has like actors and they play characters in movies. Yeah. I would suggest like looking at videos of like the snow queen because she's just like, she's just absolutely ridiculous. And she brings that to the table, but yeah, sorry. We went a little bit off topic there, but. (laughs) Comparisons are permitted in the show. Okay. Yes, like Disney is really great at coming up with fantastic, memorable villains. And the Evil Queen was a perfect starter villain in the animated canon. And that scene where the Queen slowly transforms into the old hag is still scarred in our minds. It's this <laughs> nightmare. And they call this a Disney movie? Jesus Christ. <laughs> a horror show. Thank God. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's animation for you. You can't show shy away from being grotesque and everything. Yeah, and that's the thing too. I appreciate about Disney. They really, do a great job of balancing both the light and dark, the macabre and the lighthearted. Really. Yeah. Yes, and that is my number ten. It's it's a great film. Obviously, it loses a bit of points because you know it's the cla- a classic fairy tale and that kind of idea would not hold well today since you know it's you know with the cliches the princess falls in love with her prince and then wakes up with the power of true love i've seen it all before but still then again this was just disney's first try so let's cut them yeah some. yeah and you know speaking of macabre they i mean they did do, redo snow white i think that was a, one of the first things that did a live action remake of and um 
Yeah, did you ever see it? Uh, Snow White and the Huntsman? Yeah, yeah. That, that was by Disney, wasn't it? Uh, yes. No. no, it wasn't. Oh, well. I wonder what Disney would do if they were to remake Snow White. They'll probably, like... I don't know. I don't know. But they'll probably... They're just in a real big remake sort of... Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, mood right now. But oh, well. We'll get to that later if you want to. <laughs> your turn, Diana. What is your number nine? So my number nine would be Tangled. Uh-huh. Um yeah, so the points I gave to Tangled was that I just love... I gave a lot of points for how they animated the hair. Um, it was just... I just couldn't stop watching how Rapunzel's hair was just, like, swishing around, but it had that weight to it. And it just uh, it just looked so freaking beautiful. And I loved... I loved... I loved her mom. <laughs> her mom was amazing. Um, she was kind of hot, I would say. And, uh, like, her mom was, like, she was a great example of toxic relationships, a lot of which exist today. And it was sort of like Rapunzel's break free from an abusive relationship and finding her own way to be able to, to... to find her next dream, you know, it's just like this this importance of finding a dream and find like and, and giving value to what you love, which is what I really love. And Flynn Rider was absolutely hilarious in that movie. Uh, the lizard, the, the sorry, the chameleon was good. The horse was good, like Pascal and everything. Like uh, they were, it was just a beautiful beauty. And um, one of the songs that were really memorable to me. Was at last I see the light where like the flat the lanterns were flying away and they were like singing like just oh yeah all the songs were also really good like they they got a lot of points for the songs like um Saturday night da 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 da, da you know just starting off with that that was really beautiful and um and and the kingdom dance song was really nice as well um there was a lot of like it was it was really nice like I would say uh. Rapunzel being one of the first animated movies in Disney, they did really, really well. And it just looked really good um, in it, general. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, the lanterns floating up while they were in the, the boat, that was uh, the scenery, which is so beautiful. Just drink it in. It was so one of the most beautifully animated scenes in Disney in in the CGI era, I'd say. Yeah, yeah. I, I think, like, there's no... There, there are hardly any other scenes in my mind that kind of come close to it. Um, except for a few, which we'll get to later. But, yeah, yeah. Um, I know what else to say about Disney or why it, like, is so low on the list. Probably because, you know, again, the plot was pretty... Um, like, it was pretty predictable, but then again, like, I wouldn't say that that's valid at all, or even that my list is valid, because I love all of these movies, but I don't know, it, that, that's all. But I think it was just, just up there, and it's a really great movie, and I think the animated series that came after that, um, I haven't finished it, I haven't caught up, but it's also, you know, it's stylized really well, uh, 
and I would give I, I would highly recommend giving it a watch because it still has all of the characters that you love and at the same time like they they still give it more depth and there's a lot more that goes into it and the lore that goes into Rapunzel's hair and all that magic stuff like uh, it's it's good highly recommend um, yeah well, excellent choice, by the way, as well. Thank you, thank you. What about you? What's your number nine? My number nine goes to a film that marked the beginning of the Disney Renaissance and a new era in animation. So, why do you say we go down under the sea? The Little Mermaid. This film, it's it's like a... I love how they took a new spin on the fairy tale genre and they gave a new type of princess, one that doesn't rely on a man to save them, but is more fierce, strong, and independent. Ariel, I know some people give give her flack for loving her prince after meeting him for just one day, but she's really a strong-willed character, I'd say. One of the best female protagonists in the Disney canon. Mm -hmm. I'd say Little Mermaid definitely goes into my honorable mentions. Um, Yeah, mostly because, like, the animation there was really good. Um, some Some of the plot points were like a little bit strange like with Triton like sometimes he has power and sometimes he doesn't Mm -hmm. and like for some I don't know but I think the sequels were really good like the sequels that came to the Little Mermaid uh where like she had a daughter and um and and then she wants to she's a human who wants to be a mermaid and the songs that came from it were really good um Under the Sea is also very like oh yeah or very memorable it's definitely like a great uh, theme for all of the prom themes that came after them because like they're all like under the sea, under the sea, made everyone want to be a mermaid. But yeah, yeah, I would say yeah. I, I'm 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 surprised I didn't add a little mermaid in my list, but I agree, it was good. Yeah, like and the songs too were just as memorable, which is not saying something given we has a amazing track record for iconic songs. We've also got the part of your world, which so, such power in the voice. Kiss and the girl. Sha la 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 la. Among the girl. And then my favorite, poor unfortunate souls. Like that song, mm-hmm. one of the best villain songs out there. It's right up there with uh, Be Prepared or Hellfire for sure. Ooh, yeah, yeah, I would say. Agreed. Like, the song has, like, some deal-with-the-devil-type vibes, you know, given how Ursula, she's kind of like the devil, basically, how she makes a deal with people and then screws them over. Like, And she's one of the best villains, for sure. Yeah. See, the thing about Ursula is that I wish there was more... Um, meat given to her as a character like I, I get that she her her primary goal was to get power and overcome king triton and everything but like why what would she what what's the you know why is she using this power for like is she planning on ruling people is she planning on killing everybody and like destroying the sea i don't get it or like oh yeah i think she wanted like slaves or like for her spells and stuff but um 
I don't know. I wanted to see more of Ursula, but they killed her, and they couldn't do anything other, anything else. And I'm like, ah, man. She's a really good villain, I would say. Definitely. Lots, lots of gravitas. She has a big presence in every... She steals in every scene she's in. Yeah. All right. Number eight. On to you, Diane. All right. Number eight, Lilo and Stitch. Mm. Yeah. Um, also had to add Lilo and Stitch to the list because um, just... It was such a nice contemporary film about um, indigenous people living in Hawaii, just living with like the capitalism and the tourism that happens and like, you know, like, like the way that Lilo, she's such a bizarre character who goes around like thinking about like how Pudge will have to save the day or like she's just such a profound character and then she has like this collection of of her taking pictures of tourists like as if they're animals like like it's just a nice little subtlety that like when tourists take pictures of like indigenous people like as if they're part of the scenery and instead of like actual people that was like a really nice touch and then like the fact that Lilo was like you know, she's getting bullied and then she was weird enough to take in Stitch as her pet and try to like, you know, wrangle him like and and she's also dealing with the fact that she lost her family both and Nani is giving up so much and you can see the love between the two sisters because we don't see a lot of it. Like I think people always say that Frozen um, was like the first movie that Disney did where um, there wasn't a prince, but Nani and Lilo were like the original two sisters who, where you could see like the love and the, the amount of love that they've given up to each other. And that was a testament to how they kept their family, Ohana's family, and um, David was a great character as well, where like he supported Nani and everything that she did. Um, Stitch, freaking adorable. Freaking adorable. Pleakly and um, uh, the big guy. I forget his name. I'm horrible with names. Jumba. Jumba. Yeah, yeah, Jumba. Like, uh, just the alien stuff was also, like, hilarious to watch because they were trying to figure out how to, like, live in the world. And the fact that Pleakly had to cross-dress or just he just... He just figured out that cross-dressing was the best way to figure out all his problems. Like, that was that was pretty great to see. Um, I don't know. There was just so much creativity in how, into how they, they wrote the story Lilo and Stitch. Um, and, like, the fact that they combined sort of, like, traditional values with, with aliens out of nowhere and still... A was able to make me cry at the end when when Stitch was like, "This is a good family. You know, it's not perfect, but it is. It's still a family." That's oh, true. I love that theme too. How it addresses the theme of family. How it doesn't always have to be by blood, and that some that even though how difficult things must be, they you will always stick together. Just yeah, love. yeah. Yeah, a lot of like kids in this world kind of like need that, you know, with just um, you know navigating families and nuclear families in this world. But 
and then and then the fact that they kept a lot of traditional like indigenous Hawaiian themes into it uh, with like the no melee uh, I forget the name the 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 starting song um, in Lilo and Stitch that was pretty nice to to hear it's still a good song I well ah oh. no yeah no melee no Lilo um Hemele no Lilo. Yeah. Um, beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Uh, really excellent choice. And yeah. this also, this is you one of the most underrated Disney films for course. Really nice to add in the two. Agreed. And uh, my uh, number eight, the first Disney films I've watched over and over again. I give this one to 101 Dalmatians. Hmm. Just love it. This is one of the best films with an animal protagonist, or should I say protagonists? The like again, the theme of family is really strong here, you know, with Bongo and Perdita. Like, even though there, there's a bunch of puppies that are not really theirs. They still take them in and adopt them and treat them as if they're family, which again shows all family doesn't have to be about blood, but rather the bond that you share with one another. Yeah. And like Cruella de Vil, also amazing villain, I yes. would say. Cruella de Vil. Cruella de Vil. Oh, so good. Um... Yeah, back to the to the walking, the 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 animation and like the fact with like styles and character building. I remember this one scene where like they were looking at uh, women and different kinds of women and their dogs and the different ways they would walk and be built. Like, oh, there's so much story. Uh, I think that's one of the most memorable scenes to me <laughs> in animation. Yeah, I love that too. Yes, really. Really, really great way to establish the protagonist and give him some human qualities, which is basically the equivalent of a guy seeking courtship. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. And I was wondering, like, um, there's no other, there's no other movies that really go into animal rights, right? Like, I think like this had a significant idea of like you know, puppy killing. You know, you wouldn't kill a puppy for fur. So, you know, Carol the Vils is the villain. Is it really interesting? Like, never did I think a film could make us, even though she's the bad guy, would never make us, you know, love what is essentially an animal kidnapper. Just, uh, yep, that's Disney. She's just ah. Uh, absolutely awful but she's such a fashion icon and i've seen so many like different designs of her uh she's she's beautiful i <laughs> love Cruella deville you got to be locked up and never released <laughs> <laughs> oh this film really brought i watched this film countless times with my mom when i was small and it really brought out memories of nostalgia in her since she visited London when she was 27 and she loved uh, yeah there's a lot of movies made from London eh mm -hmm. um, yeah what what are what are some other songs from that movie because all I can remember is Cruella de Vil 
Well, that's actually, now that you mentioned, that's the one lyrical song in 101. The rest is instrumental. Wow. I did not notice that. <laughs> yeah, they didn't do like the Disney song thing, which is really interesting. Yeah. I think they also did that. Um, I think Lady and the Tramp is pretty similar, where they didn't have much songs. Um, I think Aristocrats also didn't have much songs either. And what was another one? Fox and the Hound. Like the ones where like they had animal protagonists, like I think there was just like one special song and then like that's it, which is interesting. Oh. Very perceptive. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why, but you know. Also like Zootopia also didn't have much songs. Like the ones with the significant animals in them. <laughs> now that I'm noticing. That's um funny. Yeah. Interesting. I don't know what this means. <laughs> Well, and uh, moving on to your number seven. Okay, my number seven on the list is Princess and the Frog. Wow, the last. Disney. Yeah, so we're going pretty high up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, last Disney animated movie. They got a lot of points for the animation. Just like I think they had three modes of animation there. And at the same time, I'm just thinking of all the dang fireflies that they had to animate. Um, I think they definitely got a point there uh, when they were like uh, doing the Bayou sort of song. Um, and I just like really like the fact that uh, there was a lot of jazz and they really like brought heart and soul to New Orleans and the Mardi Gras and like they depicted the rich and the poor and you know the the subtle ideas of racism there like it was there for sure um and massive points for the shadow man and all the shadows because shadow like animating shadows is really difficult because you have to be able to characterize a character and then not only animate them with like what they're doing on a 2d plane but make that 2D plane 3D as it goes across different like different sorts of surfaces. Like that's just amazing to me. Um, so I was just absolutely mind blown. And um, whoa, oh my goodness, I forget the name again. Uh, what's the name of the 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 white girl who uh, is Charlotte? Yeah, Charlotte Lottie. Yeah, yeah, Lottie. Um, Lottie, I was just, she was just absolute eye candy to me because she seemed to be animated on way more frames than everyone else because she was just this hyperactive character that was always expressive and always talking and always doing something. Like every time she was on screen, I was just like, oh, this is so fun to watch. With exception of the last scene where she's like, um, that's okay, uh, that's okay, ta. Uh, <laughs> ta what <laughs> oh my goodness um tiana yeah she was like that's okay tiana you can you can marry uh you, you guys can marry no strings attached like uh um yeah otherwise like she was just she was just absolutely amazing to watch and she was definitely a a kind of change from 
the character who is in power but is mean and always bringing you down like she's a nice example for like what it means to be a true ally to people who are being oppressed and whenever they're going through trouble like those like that's a really great example to to people of all sorts of backgrounds to to show ways that they can support and use their privilege to be able to um, help their friends out whenever they're in need. So, he's one of probably one of Disney's best supporting characters and subversion of that rope. You know, the snobbish, rich, upper class twist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, I like. I'm sorry. You go. For, you go first. No, no. You go ahead. And uh, I love also how this film played a nice twist on the princess and the frog tail. And it's how oh, it's one of the first films that actually gave a very nuanced representation of the African-American community. And it shows that Disney has been learning from their past mistakes, you know, with their misrepresentations of people from different cultures and races. Yeah, and I definitely wish they could do a little bit more of that um, in their later films. But the thing about it is that, like, a lot of criticism that The Princess and the Frog gets is that they spend, like, 90% of their screen time being frogs. Like, the two people of color just ended up being frogs, and then the other one is a villain who is a shadow man. Well, so, that's... yeah kind of debatable. What are your thoughts on that? Well, personally, I didn't have much of a problem with it because it, it didn't really necessarily talk down to those to in the Black community, I'd say. It's just more narrative choice for narrative choices, I'd say. But Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think it, it might have been a coincidence and it would have been, I think uh, if they keep doing this, then definitely like we could see a pattern here. But um, yeah, I don't know. It, it's interesting. I, I'm, I'm just like looking to Pixar's next movie, Soul, and see how they deal with that one black character. And I'm not sure if he will spend 90% of his time being a, uh, being a little blue shiny character but we'll see we'll see i i'm not sure how to feel about this sort of like pattern that i'm starting to see but um yeah yeah i just wish like they could put more light into into their black characters just a little bit more but then again it was good that you know their voice actors were able to get some work from it and put out some really really great songs um like almost there down in the bayou um don't matter what to look for what's that song called um dig a little deeper that oh. little like gospel choir sort of song um friends on the other side yes friends on the other side but my favorite would definitely have been down in new orleans friends of the, the other side is really really good but down in new orleans is just personally amazing to me because of the clarinet riff. As a clarinet player myself, not a lot of attention is given to clarinets. So I just like, I just like watch, uh, listening to that song and just listening to the jazz. It's amazing. You, you play the clarinet? Yeah, yeah. I'm uh, in the Calgary Stampede show band. I play the clarinet. Oh. So. <laughs> I'd love to hear it sometime. Uh. 
Yeah, I wish I could hear it too, if we were able to perform some other day. But, yeah. I mean, there's clips out there, but not specifically me. But, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll find them <laughs> every now, if you, if you look close enough. But, yeah. And I guess that just points to me, my numbers. Yes. Which is the most recent Disney film on this list I chose because it delivers very a good nuanced message on today's time. I'll give this one to Zootopia. Mm. Zootopia, beautiful animation, voice, and great voice casting, especially from Jennifer Goodwin and Jason Bateman as uh, Judy Hopps and Nick Wilde. It re they really have great chemistry, both actors and characters. Really, and really good message between both of them shows that two different people can w make all and create such a great impact on the world. Mm -hmm. It was really interesting how they took, you know, animals, gave it sort of a realistic spin to it, where some of them were predators and some of them were prey. And, you know, like, fears based, of, based on those are very, you know, very valid and can point to some of the ideas that we have of people today. Um, and, but it's just like a more exaggerated version because we don't have actual predators and prey here in the human race. But like the way that they tackled it and the way that they tackled diversity, like the difference between um, diversity and then like implicit biases that you have within yourself and like what it means to really be a true ally to people um it's 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 really really cool how they they tackled it with the use of judy hops and nick wilde like that's really interesting um and i what really intrigues me about zootopia is the fact that they um they had a sort of plot that they had before settling on the plot they have now where it was like um nick wilde was like, like predators actually would actually walk around with these shock necklaces um and if every anytime someone did something bad someone could shock them into you know submission and this was sort of a safety feature so they wouldn't attack the the like the non-carnivorous animals that'd be too much if they add that yeah, yeah, definitely not for kids, for sure. Um, but, you know, like, as, as he said, like, movies, these movies were originally made for adults, but it's really interesting. I don't know. I don't know. It's just such an interesting film. I think it loses a little bit of points for me because of, like, that one Shakira song. Um, uh, um, something, everything. Try everything. Try everything. Uh, <laughs> One of the reasons is because I've had to play that song so many times in show band last year and I'm sick of it, but also because um, it, it, they just overused that song and overplayed it. Um, it was just really funny how they used it, but otherwise, like, er, like everything, like the world that they built around these characters was just so real and really, really eye-catching 
uh, from like this small town to the jungle to this to the the town where like it was just all covered in snow and like they really did well in their world building here it was really good they did yeah and I love also how again even though Disney is targeted for children they do not shy away from presenting mature heavy topics Zootopia deals with both prejudice uh, to an extent xenophobia and how people tend to be afraid of what they don't understand they always tend to judge others before getting to know that person even more I feel that Mm -hmm. it's not just good but relevant even in today's times you're divided yeah and they show it most with uh, um, Mayor bellwether like the yeah like the sheep and then the lion and how he they like kind of like pointed all the signs to him him being the villain but like the real villain was actually the sheep which was um a nice little plot twist and like looking at the bigger picture how it's like don't judge a book by its color by its color by its cover um but yeah, and I also agree that the the chemistry was really amazing uh, between Judy Hopps and Nick Wilde. <laughs> I, I freaking love like but, buddy cops sort that buddy cop movies. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Utopia feels more like a like a neo noir crime thriller. They might as well call it Paw and Order. <laughs> Paw and Order, that's dun. really good. Dun, dun. <laughs> Very good. But yeah. Anyway, interesting. And now you are number six. Your turn. Uh, number six, I would say, would be Frozen Two. Sequel um, at the list. I never thought it was possible. Sorry. A sequel as the list, like not nothing <laughs> bad. Like usually, most people don't tend to put Disney, sequel, but that's okay. Your thoughts? Yeah. Um, I guess like Frozen Two. Being one of the like, the later movies in uh, the animation franchise, like I just gave it so much points for the music, like Into the Unknown mm-hmm. and Show Yourself. Oh my goodness, just absolutely beautiful. And I just love the way that they animated Elsa, Anna, Olaf, and Kristoff, where they just like they were able to put such a natural feel to their animation and give it like give their characters just that realism and they 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 had a really tough job because with frozen one they had they could go wild and and come up with anything that they wanted but in frozen two they had the the struggle of trying to please a wider audience while also staying true to Frozen 1 and they really did with the fact that they they didn't um they didn't make anyone sort of like expendable with the exception of Kristoff and they like um they they regret doing that uh but otherwise like um oh my goodness my train of thought is being lost uh like they were able to take the characters that everyone knows and loves, especially like with Olaf, Elsa, and Anna. Like now they have new journeys to go through, and it's like a nice testament to how life is, um, with like 
you have to move on after this journey and then figure out the next step, like the do the next right thing. And it deals with like Anna having to deal with her overprotectiveness and, you know, her hanging on to everyone as hard as she could and then losing that and then having to go on forward with that. Like that was that was really interesting. Um, and the art was beautiful. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The and I saw the whole documentary behind how they made uh, Frozen Two, and they did struggle a lot. And I think that's what makes me like give a lot more respect to how they make movies. And you know, they were just very, very caring, and they put a lot into that movie. And there's a lot of love that goes into it, and a lot of care. And I can see how much fun that they had in the movie as well, especially with Kristoff, like with his um, Lost in the Woods song where he was like in an 80s ballad and it was kooky and it was amazing. And I'm sure it was like beautiful for all the for all the adults to watch. But um, otherwise, it was so fun. It was it was really, really fun to watch Frozen 2. And I like what they did with like the new elements and everything. We don't give a lot of thought to sequels but you know there are sequels that can that can do really well like little little mermaids sequels a goofy movie sequel and then like now frozen 2 is doing really well and um i'm excited to see how they they move on forward um yeah but there's some it loses some points for like some plot uh or just some things that I wish they could have done better, like representing the elements. Like they represented with a lizard and then a gust of wind that you can't see, and then a horse, and then big rock giants. Like are are the big rock giants the one element or like I like that was just a little bit confusing and I wish they incorporated a little bit more of an elemental thing in show yourself like the show yourself sequence and um because she's supposed to be the fifth element right oh sorry spoilers for everybody um but yeah like elsa was supposed to be the fifth element that connects all of the four elements together however um i wish they showed a little bit more since she's supposed to be the connecting feature of all of them um but but i think it was really nice and it gives a I think Frozen 2 overall was really nice because it gives a more like mature um, postmodernistic way of how life is and it just never stops going and you're going to keep trying to find yourself and grow yourself from from your past troubles like you go through a trouble like you go through a milestone and then you take the next milestone and just keep going until you until you reach your full potential which is which is fun very thoughtful, beautiful words. <laughs> like really, is like yeah. Frozen Two is one of the, and I'd say I can say the same for both Frozen films. They are both, even though they're the traditional fairy tale story. They I love how they manage to <clears throat> blend it in with modern audiences. More re- with a relevant tale rather than the traditional stuff we've seen in the past the world yeah what was it what about you my number six what do you thank you for being our guest beauty and the beast (laughs) film it's wow i love 
again, and yet another film that's a modern spin on the fairy tale drama slash genre. I love how it's not a clearly good versus evil story. Well, not for the most part, but it's more about a story about trying to find good in someone that is misunderstood, which I love the relationship between Belle and the Beast. Like, it's not really, it doesn't start off as, it started off a little rocky, but I love how it gradually changes from that into one of trust and genuine love. It really, instead of them falling in love at first sight, it, it shows how it took time for them to develop their feelings. That's one of the most realistic romances or love stories I've ever seen in a Disney film. And I give it high praise for that. Yeah, yeah. It definitely goes into like how um, it, it's a testament to how they've done their previous Disney movie films like and built off of like, oh, the perfect prince and the perfect princess finding each other and then they find love. Like the Beauty and the, Beauty and the Beast is like you have a pretty great princess, but she's kind of looked at as weird by her town. Not everyone loves her. And um, and then a beast who's just absolutely horrible. He's just not the best. He's just just horrible. He's just a horrible person. And, you know, they, they bring the imperfection of relationships into the narrative, which is fun to which is fun to see. Um, however, one criticism I would have is that the beast is kind of violent um and like it's a little bit triggering because like it, it borders on kind of abusive relationships uh, um and like and like keeping pe like keeping women in their houses and like beating on them and everything like i i'm sure the beast doesn't do that but it's it's a little bit iffy on me on, on that on that end but Eh, they they make it through. <laughs> yes, that's something. Yeah, it's Stockholm syndrome. Some people call it. Uh, well, well, yes, that that was a bit iffy for me during the first viewing, but I've grown to understand it as I grew up. Because I mean, yes, the beast can be a bit of a jerk, a big jerk, really. But the th I'd ima like sometimes imagine taking being in his shoes or paws in this case and that be how you're human but then you spend almost two decades turned into this creature like that is not something someone could hold their sanity yeah definitely and that that's fair um i just like hope that kids just don't take away like oh um i'm gonna get into this relationship so i can heal a person because i feel like relationships shouldn't be you know, you shouldn't go into the relationship with the idea that you're going to help them and you're going to heal them and make them a better person. Like, that's what the the person has to do themselves. They have to go through therapy. And, it, you know, sometimes, you know, being in a relationship with the right person usually helps you with your mental health and helps you improve as a person. But, um, you know, if the beast went through therapy, if he, like, um, you know, just figures out his own arc on himself and works on himself in that sense, like, I think um, that would that would be, like, the message that, like, more mature audiences that, that, that I would show to, to children. Because um, after watching Beauty and the Beast, I, I definitely had sort of, like, this idea that, like, if, if you were 
if you were kind and you were always kind and you kept on trying, then you would be able to heal a person who is in a lot of hurt. But that brought me a lot of hurt in my own self and and sometimes kind of made me do things that after doing things, I would be like, oh, my goodness, that wasn't me. Like, I, I wish. But, you know, it's it's the trauma that comes from it. Um, so it's it's innocent. I can see their heart in it. But um, if the beast went uh, like went through his arc and figured it out like on his own, that would be that would be great, too. Like with the help of Bell, but definitely like give more responsibility to him to make it make himself a better person is what I'm saying. That yeah. was brutally honest, Diana. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, like I get your point too, but I yeah. Like, I feel like it shows the message that everyone deserves a second chance and that you should never give up on people. Like the beast may be well, a beast, a monster, but it's also important that that we all must see the best in everyone, even if they can see it in themselves. I know it may sound an, a cliched moral, but still it's a very powerful one, nevertheless. And it's yeah. seen through if you compare the Beast and Gaston, who are basically foils, two sides, like the dark reflections of each other, I'd say, you know, with one being a human on the outside, but really a, a beast on the inside and the beast vice versa. Like, I love that dynamic as well. Shows this. I love these kind of films too. A film that really makes you think about the complexities of what true love should be or is. Well, I would challenge that a little bit, actually, because Gaston, as you know, thinking about Gaston as like a man on the outside, but a but a beast on the inside. Like the adult, the audience always gets that he's like he's the bad guy. He's the bad guy. He's the bad guy. But Gaston, in a sense, is a symptom of toxic masculinity in society. And you know, he like there are there are men who can be really egotistical about their looks and really you know think that what makes them worth something is being powerful and being manly in the sense that they're like strong and and misogynistic but like if they give if they gave a little bit more depth and and heart to Gaston maybe they could show like his insecurities and that in itself is something that people can work on like he's not i would like I would I, I agree with the fact that everyone deserves a second chance and no one in this world is ever perfect and we should always like give someone a chance to be able to express themselves. So in that sense I think that Gaston if he were a real character I would say would also have his flaws but he also needs to be worked on and he's not he should like in that sense he wouldn't be like a complete villain and they could give it a little bit more heart. Yeah, like your point, like Gaston in during the first half anyway, he wasn't he was far from a nice person, obviously, but he wasn't a villain at first. He's more as a just a jerk, basically. Yeah. Beast got in the picture. That's when he became a full blown villain because wanting to kill someone, a living thing, that's basically a human just because he can't have the love of his life basically a jealous rage mm -hmm. yeah and and that can i don't know 
I could write it. I, I could write that a little bit of a different way. I mean, it does happen with like violence and and masculinity and like jealous rages and everything, just all for one woman. Like, oh my goodness! Like, give these men like. I, I'm always like, give more writing to men, give them heart, give them, you know, other things that they can't care about. And if, you, you know, they don't always have to end off as villains or like absolute beasts who resort to violence all the time, because there's feelings that go into it. And and then in the end, it's all resolved by like how the beast becomes a prince. And, you know, he's just hot now <laughs> and they're dancing like, I don't know, I I. I like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. Okay. But it's good. It's a good effort. I like, I see the heart and what they put out into it. It's very bell centric, but let's, let's give a little bit more to our men in the, in, in our stories. Eh? Yeah. 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 I see your point. But then again, that's, that's a bit yeah. justified. Like that was, Disney was still had a lot to learn during that time. So let's cut. Yeah. 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 For sure. For sure. It's a good movie. Great music, for your oh, yeah. guest. Um, I don't know if you watched the latest Lion King. Um, remake? Yeah, the uh, remake. No, the quotation I, live action. And I don't they, <laughs> Well, it's it's good. Um, they actually do like a little cameo where uh, they actually sing Be Our Guest. In the part where like Pumbaa is supposed to distract the hyenas. And they're like, Be Our Guest. I was like, wow, <laughs> that's really good. Yeah. Same universe, wow. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's the same universe. The Beauty and the Beast cinematic universe, my favorite. <laughs> now, look like we are halfway through on the list. Number yes. Four, you. Right. Number five for me would be Frozen, right after Frozen 2. Um, yeah, also because like it, it also takes away from the narrative of like the sister, like the 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 love, like they, it's very centered on love, and um, the fact that like you just need to find love um, with the people who love you, and and you know it doesn't have to be with a prince. Like Anna ends up with uh, like her act of love is saving her sister and that's what saves her in the end it's not a true love's kiss so it's a nice change from that um a little bit on the nose but it's all good uh and i really liked the way that they characterized elsa with the fact that they showed her with anxiety and being perfect all the time like i really really relate to elsa in that sense because um as someone with adhd and the fact that kind of i was socialized as a child to kind of be polite and have good grades and just not do anything bad in general i always held myself back from being kind of a little bit more chaotic as as chaotic as i wish myself to be and to be as creative as i can be because um i was held back from wanting to be an artist and wanting to go into film like they said you won't make any money that way and i have to try and be a doctor to be able to make money so i relate a lot to elsa because of of the fact that she also had to help hold herself back from from her ice powers and relishing in the fact that she's the snow queen and being herself and the fact that like 
you know, they, they gave her anxiety and they characterized it with the snow and, you know, this sort of barrier of love between the two sisters. Like that was, that was really fun to see. Um, and yeah, I, I think it was such a, it was a nice little movie. It was cute and gave me lots of emotions and yeah. And, and the song like, uh, (laughs) let it go, which is one of the most popular songs that came out of it and it's been sung today still like it's just absolutely amazing and Dina Menzel my goodness what a beautiful character um she did really well on that and Olaf Olaf was cool he wasn't annoying Mm. um I expected him to be but you know he's just a naive little character and I thought he was he was fun to to watch and you know the animation with everything even though it was less mature than uh Frozen 2 it still was pretty dang good uh with like the way that they animated everything like with like the icicles and showing all of those effects and the architecture with the with the ice castle and everything that was that was really, really, like, a lot of eye candy to me. It was great. Right. Yeah. Love also how Disney, with Frozen Disney, has become very self-aware, you know, with the, you can't marry someone you, you can't marry or love someone you met after just one day, and how they don't really need a man to save the day, and how love doesn't always have to be romantic and come in many forms, family, friendship, even allies just love how they touch on that very well really really a disney film that can connect with the modern audiences both children and adults yeah i think disney's kind of always been self-aware since the tradition like a little bit after the traditional days like do you remember enchanted yes yes yeah it was so like sarcastic and like uh caricatured where like very meta uh, yeah, very, very meta. Um, but I think it was like a lot more on the nose here. Like you actually can't marry someone you just met, blah, blah, blah. Um, Enchanted was good. Still very romantic. And and then in the end, like the two other characters ended up marrying after they just met, which was funny. Um, <laughs> but oh, well, whatever, whatever. That was good. Anyway, Frozen was good. <laughs> um, yeah. What about you? My number five, well, as we men- as I mentioned, we both mentioned before, love stories can either make or break a Disney film. But to me, the most realistic, nuanced love story would have to go to this film. I give this one to Aladdin. This film is one of the best from the Disney Renaissance. Yeah spectacular which isn't saying something since this is disney voice performances wonderful especially from the late robin williams in his portrayal of the genie Ten thousand years will give you such a crick in the neck like (laughs) (laughs) like the genie is the the face and heart of aladdin in fact even some people who weren't big on this film admitted they just came to see it for the genie and it shows. How would you compare it to the live action? Have you seen the live action version? Nope, and I don't plan to. Oh, you don't. Okay. Interesting. Nothing. Yeah. The original. Nothing. <laughs> All you remake lovers, fight me. 
that no no i think you show like you share a lot of sentiment uh with a lot of uh, a lot of people um i just saw the remakes just because i was curious um but yeah aladdin was was really amazing uh i really loved i really love like the the aesthetic that they had which country was it based on do you do you remember um well the place of aladdin agrabah i think it's most inspired by egyptian places or saudi arabia i'd say yeah sort of saudi arabia in that sense it was really cool like how they made aladdin a disney princess he was the one with the i want songs and like he had the sidekicks and everything um very herculean like with like the the wanting to be someone like becoming someone that you're not like very like kind of like hercules but it was cool how they they brought that heart a little bit to their to to people of color like it was really interesting yeah i think it's one of the most like the first like actually diverse movies with the exception of pocahontas right yeah pocahontas came out before that but um Aladdin was a nice, like, build off of that from the Disney Renaissance, which was fun to see. Um, songs were really great performances. That's very cute. And I love how this is, it brought a new twist on the whole love story. Like, Aladdin and Jasmine, we all knew they were going to get together at the end, but I love how they played it out, like, they don't fall in love immediately after first sight. They just talk, but they grow to trust one another. And it really plays well in a realistic fashion because that's how all love is. It's not just done with a snap of your fingers. It takes time for the other to develop their feelings for each other. Really on that cliche nice and realistic even though it did technically take like what four days for them to fall in love with each other um Uh, so it's not immediately but four days which is a nice improvement (laughs) from from what happened before but yeah i i would say um jafar also a great villain um seriously and how can how can the sultan trust this guy yeah, come on his from his voice goatee black robes and snake stuff should or, already should tip everyone off that he's not a nice guy yeah yeah that, that's that's like audience communication to us but you know the yeah i think the sultan was always getting hypnotized and that's why he um he trusted jafar and i think they were like related or something um but yeah well just like some thoughts like from the remake they it was actually kind of different because like they gave more screen time and and focus on jasmine in the remake um and they did add some more like ethnic elements to it where like they they danced together in a party at one point and i don't know but it was interesting it still felt like a little bit like westernized and like you know, after that lesson with Brooks Decilia on Orientalism, like mm-hmm. um, I'm still like a little bit wary of that. But yeah, I I can't say if it, if either movie were true to each tale, but yeah, it was fun. It was fun to watch, definitely. Yeah, really great. Yeah, 
I'll give it a look just for the sake of seeing how it's different. You know, hopefully curiosity doesn't kill the cat. Yeah. Um, I will say something that's really interesting is that they they casted uh, Will Smith to be the genie in... Um, and as a black guy playing a slave to other people, like, mm, I don't know. Um, it's a lot of, there's like a lot of like slavery imagery, strangely, in the remake. Um, also in the first Aladdin, too. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what to say about that. I don't know what it means, but just, just a little notice there. I don't know what to feel about it. I don't think either of us do. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, and yes, to your point, the songs were among the best as well in Disney in general. Prince Ali, uh, what was the genie song again? Uh, a friend like... You got a... No, you got a friend in me. No. Sure. <laughs> I don't know. Like, uh, you never had a friend like me. Uh, yeah. yeah. And of course, but the real showstopper, A Whole New World. Uh, mm. That really... The sights, the, the scenery, the animation, and the vocal performances were ah, top-notch. Yeah. I remember Leia Salonga was uh, played by, like, she played Jasmine, fellow Filipino there. So, yeah, all, all I, I remember all my family was, like, really excited that Leia Salonga played Jasmine and sang A Whole New World because they were like, ah, Filipino representation, yay. Amazing. Uh, yeah. But Aladdin really is a one of the best, not just from the Disney Renaissance, but also from the whole Disney canon for its amazing characterization, animation, and plus really strong themes about friendship and and what true love really is, how it doesn't always happen in just one second and that yeah. you don't marry people out of convenience but rather for yourself for your for your heart not your not the rules yeah, yeah. i i really loved aladdin because they gave a lot of they took a thief like a literal criminal and then they gave him like a story and heart and characterization um i think the one the opening song one step ahead um was just a great testament to how they set the scene for the entire movie to come where Aladdin was just absolutely cunning. He's really smart. He's been a thief all his life. And, you know, he just wants a friend, you know, he, and he, he says, like, it would be nice if I had like a friend to support me, but I can't because I have because I have to steal because I'm in living in poverty. And then the final scene at the end where, you know, he finally gets away with his loaf of bread but then there are poor children who are really starving next to him because you know it's poverty ridden and everything and he just gives them the bread in the end and he's like okay abu let's go home like what an like that's a really really strong starting scene and i like i absolutely commend aladdin for for putting that forward absolutely amazing really it's a good role model too for sure and loved and yeah i agree that's a really great establishing moment for our protagonist really helps us to root for him right mm -hmm. love, love it. yeah feels the feels <laughs> the feels so that's my number five what's your number four big hero six um 
Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, I like how like you're going through like all the Disney Renaissance movies, and I'm doing like the CGI Renaissance Renaissance movies. Um, but I think that's that's really cool. Um, Bigger Big Hero Six is uh, one where like they have. It's not very often that Disney does like a male protagonist, and this time they do it with like a you know a biracial. Uh, little boy hero and then he's you know he's strangely smart he has he's he has his gifts and his love with his brother and it's him trying to deal with death and like deal with loss and pain but in a way that's really charming because he finds friends along the way and you know he 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 sees his brother in this robot um and you know goes on adventures together and like becomes a hero and saves the world in doing so like it's I don't know what it is about it but growing up as a kid I really loved watching kids in superhero movies like um Jake Long totally spies and it's just like kids dealing with their own shit but also saving the world at the same time like hmm or Kim Possible too. <laughs> Kim Possible, yeah, yeah, that's on the top of there, and it's just, uh, it's just really, it was just really fun to watch and really badass. Where like they're starting to move away from from the magic and everything, and they're moving into like technology and science, and um, yeah, yeah, it, it it was really fun to watch, and the way that they characterized like San Fran Tokyo and had like Tokyo and San Francisco. That was really, really cool. It was really cool to see. And I don't know if the original comic did that, but it, even if they did, the way that they modeled the entire city and they ended up showing it and like the amount of time and effort it creates to building that entire city and then animating it in a way that looks good is just absolutely amazing. Like, like superhero movies can be so hard to do when you're just building from the ground up and, and animating that. So that was cool to see. Um, and I think it was a, like, another another movie for, for the boy audiences. They had a character that they could relate to in some way and like, you know, help them deal with emotions in a way that's healthy. And you just like have friends and family to be there for you when you cry. And it, it's just it's just really nice to do. And then the final scene, I, I would give lots of props where like we're like. Um, what what's the name of the robot? I forget. Oh, help me out here. Baymax. Baymax. Yes. So like when Baymax was like floating away in space and he's like um i cannot deactivate unless you tell me that you're satisfied with your care and then like hero says okay i'm satisfied with my care and then he just like deactivates and then like is sent into space and you know like uh ah oh, so heartfelt and really amazing to watch i really love big hero six because like it had there was so much that went into it um that i really enjoyed but yeah. Well, what did yes. You... I loved it too. Yes. And one, the closest thing that Disney has ever come to a Marvel film as well. And this was, <laughs> and this was years after they bought the studio, the Marvel studio. Really loved it. It really, it also had vibes similar to a previous superhero film, The Incredibles. Hmm. 
Why so? Well, if you think about it, it's I just mostly draw compare it, you know, given how they're both superhero films that are anim- that are animated. But I would consider them, in, in a way, it's more about ri- the rise of a hero. While Big Hero 6, it's more about just some human wanting to be a hero. The other, The Incredibles, is more about human superheroes who have to learn to be human. Like, I love, I love, and just find it more, it just give me similar vibes to those films, given how they're both superheroes and produced by Disney. Well, mm. Interesting. I think The Incredibles was produced by Pixar. Um, Oh, man, I really want to talk about Pixar. I know you said you didn't want to, uh, but yeah. Diana. What? All in good time. Oh, my goodness. But yeah, that's that's really that's a that's a little interesting insight. Um, I wish it was a little bit more Pixar-esque, but uh, I'll withhold my thoughts on that. Um, But yeah. I, I would say that, like, uh, Big Hero 6 was just... It wasn't even about, like, the entire thing... The entire story, like, you could take away all the superhero and action stuff. Take it all away, and in the end, it's just about, like, a, a sort of coming of age or coming mm. in terms of your grief sort of story. And it's like even the villain, like they gave depth to the villain, which was nice to see because I I always love when they give like a more nuanced version of what the villain is because everyone is human and I have a strong belief in that. So like the way the fact that like even the villain is is coming to terms with his own grief, which was was really interesting to see. Um, And like the way they they've handled it all and like in terms of like what to do and what's not to do was was really fun um yeah props to disney for doing that but yeah right. i think that's all i have to say yes i agree i love it when disney delves into more personal territory because like you mentioned big hero 6 it's an essence of superhero film but it's more a film about family about coming to terms with the loss of a loved one. I really love when they touch that and stuff. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Also, Baymax was amazing. So adorable. I love Baymax. And my for my number four, it's one of Disney's more underrated films. I'll give this one to The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Now, The Hunchback of Notre Dame is probably the most the darkest and most adult Disney film to ever grace the silver screen because it deals with very mature topics that you'd never expect to see in a Disney film like genocide lust religion infanticide xenophobia I I just love it's that kind of film that where it gets better the more you start to grow older, I say. Yeah. Um Yeah, it was such a mature little movie and that's what I really liked about it. I think the original story um I'm just looking up who the writer was. Um uh, Hugo? Yeah, Victor Hugo. It was actually much darker than it was and Esmeralda was actually meant to be dead. 
and burnt at the stake by the end of the movie and it was super super tragic but I love the fact that they gave a different spin to to the protagonist because usually protagonists are good looking skinny uh, like they all have the same sort of shape and and they gave this one to Quasimodo and put a lot of love and like they put a lot of lo- love into his character from from the music and the way he sang and like into the way he acted and in the end like they didn't even like make his character super perfect because in the end he was he ended up being jealous of Esmeralda and and the blonde guy uh, um, Phoebus. Yeah, Phoebus. And he, he was jealous, and he did act on his jealousy. But the true testament to how good you are and how human you are is how you act on your bad feelings, which is not how we... It's not how... Um, like, it's not how a lot of Disney movies uh, show a lot of things. Like They don't show their protagonists going through like dilemmas of whether to turn into someone who like to act on their revenge and to act on like lust and possessiveness instead they act on selflessness and um and you know in the end that and, and honesty and in the end that like helps the story grow and make it more heartfelt in that sense yeah yes yes and it makes sense too because the film's message or question is what makes a monster and what makes a man, which is shown in both Quasimodo and the uh, villain, uh, Judge Claude um, Frodo. Yeah. It's really great, that really powerful message, because a person's good or evil should not be seen in how they look, but rather through their actions. Yeah. Really well done in their opening scene as well when they established how like um, Quasimodo's mom uh, was like asking for for help with her child and like Crollo was like no he's evil and he's meant to be evil all his life and it's really interesting with how like they portrayed a man of the church who's supposed to be seen as good and the voice of all reason and then a man who was from the like i don't want to say that word because it's derogatory but like a man who's like looked at as as from from a community that's looked at as negative and then one grows into a monster and one grows into a good person but it's not in the way that you think or not in the way that a lot of people think yeah and I gotta say this, but Frollo has got to be my favorite Disney villain for being the most realistic and complex one. Like the other Disney villains are scary on their own right. We've had evil queens, witches, and sorcerers, but the thing about Frollo is that people like him, you know, like corrupt authority figures and people who commit do all these terrible things and at the end use their own religion to justify each of their cruel, cowardly act. Yeah. Or, like, either religion or law, because that's a lot of what, like, Victor Hugo does. Like, I think I think he also wrote Les Miserables, right? Uh, that's right. Yeah. 
um, yeah, he wrote Les Miserables, like uh, Jean Valjean and and Javert. Javert was like the man of the law, but then he's following his own moral judgment, where his moral is like, I have to find this man who committed a crime in the law, and if not, like my life has been a lie. Same with Frollo. Like he, his moral judgment is according to the laws of the church, and sticking too, too close to that, without sympathy or empathy that the church actually is supposed to teach, he ends up like going down a really, really dark path. And it, I think it's like a warning to to people who want to go into these sort of things to really look at their moral judgments and say, hey, maybe not all of the rules are gonna be, um, like you can't just follow them all the time. You have to be a little bit more human and give a little bit more love to the people who you're supposed to think are bad. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and that's Frollo's song, Hellfire. Oh my God. That's so yes. very deep. Like deep down Frollo is a sexually frustrated man. Like he's that song. It really lost year of damnation like it tells us everything we need to know about Frollo like I love the I love those type of villains the villains that they see themselves as the hero in their own story like, while most Disney villains are obviously evil Frollo is obliviously evil yeah because he like he's just like so caught up in the layers of like you know, if you don't give in to lust, then you're bad and everything. Or if you don't give in to lust, then that you're considered to be a good man of the church. And then he, like, kind of vict victimizes Esmeralda as a result. Mm -hmm. And that's a really real trait that that happens, like, with misogyny, with men and women, where they're like, you know, um, if... If men, if a man lusts after a woman, somehow it's the woman's fault, and then they blame it on her and victimize her for you know just you know just vibing, like Alice Miralda was just being her, but like somehow it was her fault that that Frollo got a boner, you know, like <laughs> it's 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 a really nice like realistic spin to how it was, and. As a child, I never really caught on to that, but it still stuck as I like continued to learn about things and grow. So, I don't know. I think it's it's really cool that like they didn't um, they didn't take that aspect of the film out just for the children. Like that was interesting. Right, I love that too. How it's for kids for sure but also it's not afraid to pull its punches and show such dark content this is a film also that's relevant for the time especially for though during a time where people are being you know full of prejudice xenophobia and looked down upon simply because they're different from others mm-hmm mm -hmm. um yeah, it's still relevant. I think it will continue to be, to be relevant. It's been relevant for thousands of years, so I think it's still going to keep happening. It's it's going to be relevant for the next thousand years, I think. And that is my number four. Yes. And now reaching to our top three. So who do you give the bronze medal for best Disney film, Diana? We already mentioned this before, but I gave it to Zootopia. 
Um, yeah, mostly because like they had a lot of creativity to their world building. Like they put a lot of work into it. Um, their music, eh, not all that great, but like they, I, I gave a lot of plots to it for the way that they animated their um, characters and uh, gave a lot of like insight into what this world could be. Um, it left me wanting more um, at the end with like the mystery and everything and it was really really cool how they they, they showed um racism xenophobia and all that um for for what it was so yeah zootopia uh <laughs> stands at the top three awesome and i love yeah. also i've mentioned this earlier but i love that scene where they're talking to the sloths <laughs> oh that was so good yeah just like uh, how slow his delivery is and the laugh he pulls. Ha. <laughs> Nick, ha. Uh, he's such a troll. <laughs> he was. It was very um it was very the office esque, I would say, with like the type of humor that they brought in with Nick Wilde and everything, where like he would just bring Judy to these really bizarre characters and it it felt a lot like, you know, it reminded me of Jim like trolling Dwight at the office with like Nick trolling Judy that was fun like, but yeah while Judy is talking to this Nick is just standing there with a with the smuggest smile on his face <laughs> yeah I really loved his like they they really gave him like the DreamWorks eyebrows eh? with like the one crooked eyebrow and just the really smug look like ah that was fun that was fun to see <laughs> But yeah, I don't know. I think we've talked a lot about Zootopia. Um, but yeah, lots of points to them. And for me, I award the bronze medal to this film because of all the Disney films I've seen, I think this is the most beautifully drawn and animated one. I give this one to Fantasia. Ooh. Like it's a film that I feel needs more appreciation. Like some people give it flack because there's no plot and there's no dialogue, but this is a very artistic film. Like the music, it, this is the film that gave me appreciation also for the classical music, like Johann Sebastian Bach, Tchaikovsky, Stravinsky, Beethoven. This, the music is so powerful. It's like, it's telling, it's like the dialogue of the film. It tells the story, and it's like emotions all put into one giant piece of paper. It's, this film is beautiful. It's like stepping into a painting. Yeah, I agree. I actually um, was going to put Fantasia in my, like, honorable mentions, but um, I can talk about it here. But, like, I think Fantasia is one of the first films that I've seen where they used animation as art because for the longest time they used animation as like storytelling but like traditional storytelling like a movie uh where they have to show like a hero's journey and you know blah 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 but here they there's none of that they like go through like emotions like with like the the lights or um or you, you kind of see like a ballet in an animation sort of sense. And I give this to animate like Fantasia 1 and Fantasia 2. And Fantasia 2 especially like, especially because they had Rhapsody and Blue in it. Um, 
and one of the best clarinet solos. Oh, uh-huh. yeah. yeah, it's entirely personal to me. Um, but there's so many different animation styles and there's a lot of love and exploration into what people can do as artists. Um, and, you know, it's it's one of the first times like that I see animators looking at themselves and they see themselves as like like artists before storytellers and they express themselves in a sort of an abstract sort of way. But still, like you can see it in the way they they express themselves. Exactly. Yeah. Watching this film is like like stepping into a dream, like you're literally stepping into your dream. And also Fantasia is a perfect example. Sometimes actions speak louder than words, like the animation and music is the one doing all the talking. Even there is not no talk at all. And of course, Fantasia film that marked the debut of Mickey Mouse is wow, that scene that fantastic. Like even those who were did not like Fantasia admitted that the scene with Mickey and the broomsticks was the best scene highlight of this film yeah still very memorable also gave me lots of nightmares about brooms as a little kid watching that um but yeah yeah i think even after that like the animation studios they had like the they have the big hat from the fantasia film yeah they just kept it in and I wish they did more of this. Like, I would love to see another fence, uh, like another Fantasia, because I did. They it was originally supposed to be just like a project of like different films compiled compiled for one year, and then Fantasia two thousand was was like the same thing but with newer elements. And I would love to see a Fantasia twenty twenty where like they wow. try and go through like the art sort of sense again. Like that would be so cool to see. Yeah, me too. That's what I thought, actually. Well, and aside from the Sorcerer's Apprentice with Mickey, another one that really stood out for me would be the whole Night on Bald Mountain sequence. That scene was... It was terrifying. It scarred me as a kid, but nevertheless, it's some of the best animation I've ever seen, not just in Disney, but in the whole wide world of cinema. Nice, nice. I really like the one with like the hippos and the crocodiles. I don't know if that one was in uh, Fantasia one or Fantasia two. Uh, one. One. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That one was that one was really really fun to see, and oh, it was so pretentious with like the ways the hippos were dancing and the crocodiles. Oh, just like it remind. It was very like I think it set a lot of um, steps for how the Lion King animated just want to be king and like like yeah like i want to be king and like i i I, it it was just such eye candy to me um i think another one with like the mushroom that was dancing oh it it was very simple but it was fun to see not cracker sweet that one's one of the best well Mm -hmm. film it's like in terms of animation this is disney's master yeah Breaking Bad season five. Just... <laughs> and as an artist, I truly respect and appreciate this. Mm-hmm, definitely. And did you ever get to see Fantasia two? I did. Yes. Okay. Really loved all with Donald and Daisy. Donald, yeah, yeah. 
eels that was so even though we knew they were not really dead that yeah but when they saw each other oh my god please pass the tissues <laughs> oh, oh my goodness powerful i love that i donald is my favorite disney character absolutely loved him yeah but yeah I think that's all there is to say about Fantasia. It's just like it, it, just like it's the heart of animation, and they're challenging themselves with like taking classical music or you know just older music elements that are underappreciated, and you know bringing art to it, which is just absolutely beautiful. Oh, wow. Yeah, still looks beautiful eighty years later. Oh yeah. Testament the power. Oh yeah. And to think they did all of those with like traditional drawings, like with paper, you know, and, and coloring. What? This is wild. Absolute nut shots. Yeah. Now we move on to number two. So who do you award the silver medal to? Um, in my ranking system, it ended up being a Moana. Wow. Uh, yeah. Moana. Hmm? That's that's your your most recent the most recent film lately. Um, the most recent, anyways. That wasn't a sequel, yeah. Um, but yeah, Moana was ended up getting a lot of points for the animation because of the way they animated the tattoos on Maui. That was super cool. Um, and then just the the scene with Tamatoa in general, like. <laughs> I think I cried in that scene because it was so beautiful. There were so many different times where like, I just cried at the sheer beauty of each scene from the first part where like Moana as a like baby Moana is going to the sea and then she like is playing with the water and the water like shows her all of these like beautiful things. Like the one thing like I think is great about Disney that I learned from the Frozen 2 animation studios is that they don't work on realism. They work on believability. And that's what makes it so beautiful with the way that they animated the water and, and Tamatoa and just the culture of um, um, Motunui. Like, that was absolutely beautiful. And um, there was just... They put a lot of heart into showing that these uh these Samoan people like they charted their own ways and they figured out their ways back then and it's a testament to how like people of thousands and thousands of years ago they made their own way they um they built off of like they they were brilliant in their own way and people who are living in the present can say like, hey, like, you know, we're comfortable where we are, but like it's it's the coming back to the roots that you had, that your ancestor had, <laughs> sorry, that your ancestors had before you, that is not all so bad. Like it's it's okay to be traditional because sometimes like the people who came before you, you know, they they shouldn't be looked down on, and I loved how they they made um, Moana's people look 
like they didn't they didn't like make them look like tribal or like or like dumb or stupid or anything like that you know they they gave heart to the community and how different it was and how beautiful it was which was fun to see um and and ultimately take it away and it's just like a take it all like the sea stuff and the magic stuff away and you know it's just a film about how moana comes to learn about herself and believe in herself and instead of building herself her her identity off of the people before her and the legacy and the destinies and the paths that were given to her she builds it up on her own and ends up you know taking responsibility for herself and and um using empathy instead of like fighting the the lava monster she just like i have your heart and i'm gonna give it to you because you know and it's just heartfelt it's beautiful i love moana is also one of the strongest female disney protagonists in recent years i love how disney made made moana her own person her own woman without needing to be defined by having a man in her life or any romantic story of any kind. They made Moana a fiercely independent figure. Props yeah, exactly. Um, and like, they didn't even make her a Mary Sue because when she started off her journey, she didn't know herself. All she wanted to do was get out in the sea, but she couldn't even do that right. You know, she failed when she tried to get across the border. So, and, and you know, she, she continued to learn and she learned from Maui. But even after Maui left, she ended up like making moves with her ship that, you know, um, they were just absolutely creative. She used her own mind and brought her own responsibility to it. It was just, uh, it was great to see. And Maui is also the heart of the film as well. He, Dwayne Johnson delivered one of the best performances of his career. I didn't <laughs> know the guy could sing. And I bet Johnson must have really appreciated being in this film because he is a Samoan, half Samoan, I hear. And this is a really great chance for him to express his culture. I bet he would be really proud of this gem. Yeah. I, I think I saw like the, the time where he did the haka, I think it was a haka that he did. He was like, ho, ho, ha, oh, oh my goodness. Oh, I love whenever people do the haka because it's so powerful and it's so like, it's so um, primal and it's scary and intimidating, but I just love watching it. Maybe I don't want to be like the person on the other end receiving it, but like, oh, oh, I think, maybe, okay. Maybe I do want to be the other on the end of the the other end of receiving a haka because like wow wow um yeah i just want to get crushed <laughs> That's powerful really powerful display of and to those who actually in and to those people who appreciate the haka as well they say you're welcome <laughs> thank you thank you i love that um but yeah i think that's all i have to say about moana own choice yeah really love it as well one of disney's most best original films that isn't a sequel or a remake like disney can should really stick back to doing original stuff instead of you know sequels or remakes this this is where their greatest strength lies 
in creating, not continuing. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. I mean, sequels can be good if you know you you add, there's more to add on to it. Um, Frozen Two is great because because they stuck they continue to stick to the story, but still added more onto it. I think the thing about certain sequels is that they're just made for the money, and um, you can really tell when some of them have just been made for the money, and when others were just like not like when when others were like there was more heart and soul put into them. Um, and it was a continuation of character journeys. So, I don't know. That's just my opinion. And Frozen 2 fits in the second category, I, I believe. Oh, no. Frozen 2 was number six. Oh, no. I mean, like, in those two categories, you mentioned them. A sequel made for money and the other a sequel oh. made... Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, it was it was actually made at the heart of it. There were some uh, aspects of it where it was like there was a lot of pressure. I know it's a lot harder to make a sequel to make an original movie because you have the pressure of like now your studio is looking to you and audiences are looking to you to have the same even or like blow people out of the water even more than they did before. And that's where a lot of sequels fail to to step it up but yeah that's that's why it's like i i respect sequels and prequels a lot better than than a lot people a lot of people can can say yeah really excellent choice as well to award your silver medal (laughs) my silver medal goes to another one on your list frozen now what can I say that hasn't been already said about this film? Well, for one, I think Frozen delivers is the best Disney film with the best musical scores. Like, usually in a Disney film, when a song plays, it tends to be a bit, well, sappy and just done to pad in the runtime. But with Frozen, the songs are not just really well done, but they really serve a purpose in the story, in establishing the characters and explaining their emotions and their moods it really tells us something about them let it go is i relate to this song quite a lot as well because i also have a bit of suffer a bit from anxiety and fear of failure usually in my school work work or other projects but this song taught me that it's okay to be afraid if and it's always good to keep moving forward, to keep moving forward, just to, you know, or as the song expresses, to let it go. <laughs> really impact me strongly, strongly. Keep moving forward, a testament to meet the Robinsons. <laughs> wow, good callback. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, no, um, I agree. It's, it's, it's great. <laughs> it's just, just great, great all around. I do love Frozen, um, yeah. And uh, do you wanna do you wanna build a snowman? It's also, it may sound a bit, you know, sappy, but if you think about it, it really symbolizes the the friendship, the bond between Anna and Elsa with this bond. Really, it also tells a good story, you know, from childhood to adolescence to young adulthood. Really, it's a combination of sweet 
and bittersweet, and I love it yeah. all the those two reasons. I think what Do You Want to Build a Snowman did to Frozen was what Married Life did to Up in Pixar, where, oh. it, yeah, because in Pixar, like, they, you know, they, there wasn't lyrics or anything, but they showed you the progression of, you know, the two children and then like them going through life together and then there's the loss and then that's what sets the scene so in frozen they do the same thing where it's like do you want to build a snowman and then they build the snowman and then like the song starts where you know there's this barrier between the sisters and the rift grows longer and harder and the hurt that started from when they were kids has exponentially grown into now that they're adults like that anxiety with Elsa just constantly holding herself back, um, and and Anna being Anna being like uh, kept from having a sister or having a bond or just having friends in general because I think she just stayed in the castle and nothing much really happened, you know, and and she was just she grew up so lonely throughout her life and that was like a great establishing scene um and yeah they they did really well and then that and then the end of that song was where you know they established the scene and then that's where like the real story started which was really fun was yeah and one more i'd like to give credit to is for the first time in forever as aside from it being a very beautifully sang number it also tells us a lot about anna you know like her innocence her determination for adventure to face the world and her yeah. naive character like anna is to be the poster child for the word adorable <laughs> she was like a lot of us she was raised by media like she was raised by paintings and and books she didn't have a lot of time with her parents so she read the stories where the prince and the princess would get together and act, like just right away after meeting up and you know it shows like and, and that plays a big part of how she fell for um his name is not hans no his name was hans yeah hans um and Oh, it was such a, it was just a, absolute eye candy. Um, Love is an Open Door is also a really great song. Uh, really catchy, really fun. And I was like, I would jam to it every now and then. And yeah, like we all, we, I really love Anna. Like she's a really good role model and we all need people like her in this world. You know, the kind of people that make us laugh and smile even when things are very difficult. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I also like that she they gave her like two different sides where she was really happy but the one moment where, you know, she's being broken down and she's close to death, like and she she nears death and um and she kind of like faces it and she faces, you know, dying alone and having been betrayed by Hans. Like when when it gets sad like that was really freaking sad um and then it's a nice it's like a nice callback when you know they move on to the next movie where anna is like is losing everything all over again and she's she, for the final time like she or for the first time she's like 
alive in this sense and everyone else around her is dead whereas um she was gonna die and everyone else was gonna live in the first movie yeah it was a it was a nice little contrast but they gave her a lot of depth yeah i think we've said enough about frozen so i think (laughs) go for now and now the time has come diana who do you award the gold medal for best Disney film ever. The gold medal for what has given me the most serotonin is Wreck-It Ralph. Wow. Wow. Definitely <laughs> the most underrated entries. Really? Okay. Yeah, no, Wreck-It Ralph is just absolutely amazing because it tells the story of a villain, basically. You know, and I think now that I'm realizing this... Um, throughout this entire podcast is that I have like a soft spot for villains and bad, like people who are seen as bad and I want them to have more depth than they had before. So, so you get, you have a character like, like Ralph who in the end, you know, he was programmed to be a bad character and, and the story is about him. He's the antagonist of he, he, well, he's a antagonist of this, uh, the, fix it Felix sort of story and you know he wants something better for his life he wants to break away from what has been uh given to him and really move forward from that and he makes a lot of mistakes he's bumbly and everything and you know he he's not the best and he's not the most emotionally um sane like he's not the most emotionally uh what do you say eloquent like he's not eloquent with his emotions at all and then you know he meets this girl uh in in and and it's a friendship which is also what i really like where it's like it's not exactly a love story the real love story is with felix and and um oh no i forget her name um ah! you know what i'm talking about like that lady um Um, the Vanellope Von... No, 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 no. Um, Blonde? Sorry? Is she blonde? Yeah, yeah, the blonde one. Uh, wait. Um, Calhoun, yeah. Sorry. (laughs) Yeah, like, the real love story is with, like, uh... Fix it, Felix and Calhoun, and they like <laughs> it's such a strange little relationship, but it's cool to see. Um, but yeah, no, they're they're just so imperfect, and I love the fact that they show these imperfections. And Vanellope is the most imperfect of her video game, and she just wants to play. So like they go through their all their differences, and you know, apparently the king of the 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 candy racer game is is the one who's supposed to be the most perfect is the king so that was really fun to see and um yeah and it was just so beautiful such a beautiful movie where they took the concept of video games and all these references and everything and they gave them character they gave them life and they gave like they world built around something that was relatable to all of us and actually helped us love characters a lot more than than we do today so that was really fun and ah it was great it was so beautiful to see 
Now, this is the one movie where, like, I didn't exactly like the sequel too much because the sequel was, like, a lot of references to a bunch of other things. And, um, but yeah. And there was a lot of um, parts of this this piece that I really loved about 2D animation where they made the characters super cartoony. They didn't try to make them, like, hot or anything. Like, they had, like, square heads and square bodies and circular circular faces and everything. And that was really fun to see. Um and you know the stories that were told through the imagery was fun and what i really loved about wreck it ralph was that you know he it goes he goes through a journey where like he doesn't know how to use his strengths and he thinks that they're used for bad but he wants them to he wants them to be used for like he wants to carve his own path and figure out his own way and like he sees himself using his strength for bad and then he uses it like and he learns a little bit more about how he can use it for good and for the things that he cares about and the things that he loves um like helping vanellope make her own race cart and then destroying it but like he makes another one for her like that's that's just absolutely beautiful and you know in the end you know his 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 wrecking abilities um are what saved the day in the end and he kind of like sacrifices himself for it it's just so uh, it's so good and it's so beautiful and I love Wreck-It Ralph it's amazing yeah and it I was really surprised as well when I found out it's gonna have all these iconic video game characters and I thought yep I'm gonna buy this one <laughs> <laughs> yeah Yes. And similar to you, I really have a soft spot for villains. I traditionally prefer villains over heroes because there's just something about them. They're they're charismatic, they're full of energy, they look cooler, and some <laughs> tend to be even more sexier than the heroes as well. Looking at you, uh, Maleficent. <laughs> That's for sure. That's for sure a thing. Yeah, like villains... I like I guess I like villains because you know I I'm just it can be so tiring to be perfect all the time and you to always strive for good and to like for 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 bad and everything and you know I really like looking into how they they get there to that point where you know they they find themselves in a place where they feel like they can't go back from and it's also especially cool when I see characters like um redeem themselves afterwards. You know, Zuko from Avatar The Last Bender would oh. be a great testament to that. You watch that show? Nice. I yes. Love Everyone has to have watched that show. It's I'm gonna make my kids watch that show. I'm gonna make my grandkids watch that show. I've made my family watch that show. <laughs> Everyone I know has to have had watched that show in order to be next parents. Huh? huh? We're gonna we're gonna talk about that for your next episode. Yes. Okay. I would love that. Okay. But but yeah. Um, so for Ralph to like see himself as you know, I can be. I I don't need to be a villain. I I can just like, I can find my own way. Like that's just such a beautiful film to me. And um, I gave it like a hundred points mostly because of Vanellope von Schweetz. She's adorable and also relatable because of like ADHD and stuff. And if I had a superpower, I would want her ability to glitch and just like 
when she like glitches when she's excited or when she's sad and she expresses herself through her imperfections like that's just oh that's just so awesome to see um and like she she's vulnerable and she needs help but she's still a strong character who just wants to fit in with a crowd like everyone can relate to that i think um and she's just oh she's so adorable i love penelope favorite character ever i would say really good choice like i love how some of your films on this list are you know underrated because it shows that you're giving them the appreciation they truly deserve yeah uh, it's unfortunate that they're underrated um like yeah i think a lot of people like certain stories and a lot of people um uh yeah they I mean, the ones that are overrated are also good. I, w I would say, like, Zootopia and Frozen, like, I, I would say those ones are pretty overrated to me, but, you know, I still, they still have their good points. But, yeah, we shouldn't ever forget the ones from the Disney Renaissance and some of the, 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 the movies that you can look a little bit more into and weren't as franchised as before. Um, I don't know, they're just so creative and so beautiful, and, ah, I love them. I, they have a special place in my heart. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what it is about me. Go ahead, though. The gold medal for best Disney film in my book is... This is the pinnacle, the peak of Disney. It's a combination of everything that makes Disney what it is. This one, be prepared, Diana, because <laughs> The Lion King. Really? I don't know where to begin with this. First, let's start with the story. Like, oh, the one Disney film that isn't based on any kind of fairy tale. It's mostly based on Hamlet, but still, it's really a great story about about fatherhood, family, and coming to terms with yourself. I love it when Disney goes into that kind of territory, the personal stuff. Like, Simba has got to be one of the most tragic, relatable heroes in all of Disney. Like, seriously, loses his father, gets tricked by his uncle, spends most of his life in exile, but then comes back, and after all he's been through, he finally, finally earned his happy ending. <laughs> People. very relatable yeah i also um lost my dad and had to be a king and oh. <laughs> and also um i also had to be moved into a forest and um learned about the ways of hakuna matata before taking my place on the throne <laughs> very relatable i'm just joking yeah but <laughs> i get it i get it oh diana you when you're brutal honesty <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, too late now. <laughs> no, no, I'm just joking. That was all a joke. No worries. And, yes, and, like, every single scene in this film is just so iconic. Like, the songs are very catchy and really good in telling the story. I just can't wait to be king. Be prepared. Can you feel the love tonight? Akuna Matata. But to me, the crown goes to the circle of life. That opening scene... Ah, oh, so beautiful. Like, 
all of the animals from the savannah. There's no dialogue, but we all know what is happening. It really sets the mood for the scene. This is Disney saying, you wanted something new and breathtaking. Here you go. Perfection. Yeah. What I love about Disney a lot is that they really look into environments and places and then they give them soul and they give them personality and heart. And just from that one scene where the sun is rising over the savannah and it's orange and it grows and then there's more light and there's a silhouette of animals like um, moving forward to celebrate the, the, the birth of Simba. Like, yeah, that's that's like a really good setting scene for 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 Africa in, in that specific place. Definitely. You know, maybe maybe if I ever have a child, I'm gonna have the priest raise him up in the air when <laughs> that'd be I would do that if I have a cat. Make my cat like just really mad. Uh, actually no, I did that at band camp once. <laughs> cat did not like it. I will just say that. Yes, and and once again, the strength of the story is strongly reliant on the strength of its villain. And Scar has got to be one of, if not the most iconic Disney villain ever. Like, everything about him is just so amazing. His voice acting is top-notch. His design is cool. And not to mention, he is the first Disney villain to you know, commit murder on screen and actually succeed in his goals. And plus, he has a really badass villain song. Yes. He's so cunning. Then that's what I love about Scar, that, like, he's actually smart. He's not a bumbling villain like Cruella de Vil or, you know, just anyone else. But, like, he is scarily smart. And his it shows that, like, his strength is not in, you know, his physical strength as compared to Mufasa. He's he uses his brains and he uses it to get himself to where he is and his cunning and his schemes like, oh, just oh, how can you beat that? You know, when someone is smarter than you, you can't punch that. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, magnificent bastard Scar is like. <laughs> Here I see Scar and Mufasa is the closest thing we'll see to an animated Thor and Loki. Right. That's a good that's a good way of putting it. Yeah, Thor is Mufasa. And and good God, the score, the, the music. Hans Zimmer is the John Williams of our time. He really delivered with the sound. And this was many years before he did Inception. This is his Tour de Force, his magnum opus. That's cool. Um, yeah, Hans Zimmer is is someone like I can see everywhere. But you know, I'm not even like angry about it because he's not like um, like he deserves his place. Like he deserves all of the the grand awards and callings because he's just done so well with everything that he's done so far. Yeah, yeah. But yes, that is my favorite Disney film of all time. Like some people may say it's overrated, but either way, that doesn't take away from the impact The Lion King has had on Disney animation and all of our childhoods. This is a film that is made for everybody. It appeals to both children and adults. 
Yeah. Do you want me to talk about the live action version for a little bit? Uh, sure. Okay. Okay, I will say that, like, they stayed pretty true to the animated one. Well, they're both animated, but you know what I'm talking about. Like, the for the first Lion King, they stayed pretty true to it. Um, but, you know, they tried to do a little bit of a, a sort of a documentary version of it. Um, and there was some sort of believability to it. Like, they still took some of their own... Uh, like they still like created this the sky like the, they still animated the sky and the animals like right from the ground up and that's really really cool to see like they I think the Lion King shouldn't be looked at as just a cheap money grab because I think it's just a way for animators to say hey we're gonna test our animation skills and see what we can do with Lion King and see if we can make it like as close to real life as possible because we can see it happen that way and because we can we're just gonna do it and i think they 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 did it they ended up um you know succeeding in making a film that was just entirely animated that way from from what they did in dinosaur to what they did with the lion king remake like just absolutely phenomenal with the animation and the characterization that they did with everything. That was really great. And they still stayed true to the movie. So that that was cool in that sense. Like, it, it's just a different perspective. Like, I, I still think, like, they could have done well by doing a different sort of story. But I think in terms of seeing Disney's... Disney is a milestone for how far they've come in terms of animation. That was really, really cool to see. And that's all I'll say. What? Yes, I'll, I'll. Same with Aladdin and all the other Disney remakes. I'll give them a look just for the sake of. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's no worries. Like if you don't want to see them, but I'll just say like it. Uh, for for the live action remake of of the Lion King, in general, like that's just, it's just, yeah. Um, what was I gonna say? Sorry, ADHD brain. Um, yeah, whatever. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> I forget. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, we don't have to watch all of the remakes and everything. I think they're just more for, like, children to be reintroduced to the stories that we loved as kids and for animators and, and Disney studios to to see what they can do with live action stuff. Um, but, yeah, I, I really hope that they kind of take more of a create like take more creative liberties instead of doing remakes and everything um for for money grabs like it, it would be cool to see something a little bit more creative but they did it they did it so that's cool yeah, yeah. and uh, looks like that's all the time we have left on today's show and <laughs> that was probably our longest episode yet and I know this may not seem relevant, but congratulations, Diana. You are our third female guest here on Sin City. Thank you. So, thank you. Until then, thank you for your time to all our listeners. This has been Sin City, live for CMRU.ca. I'm Nick Manessis, and let us all thank Diana de Gracia for showing up here as guest for our penultimate episode. Thank you, Diana. Thank you so much for having me. This was this was fun. Long, but fun. <laughs> it was, truly. Really. Thank you. And good luck as well. 
You too, you too. Thank you.